You're ready, my friend. <laughs> welcome, welcome, one and all, to Season 5, Episode 7 Chi. of the Barncast. My name is Ben Drew, and I'm joined by... Alex Ritchie. And that's it. Not just the two of us. Just the two of us. You and I. Uh, how you doing, Beautiful. Buddy? It's been good. It's uh, It's been a hectic week. I've both... Uh, my wife and I took a, a bit of a, like a New Year's resolution that we, I, we didn't try this it just kind of happened um of trying to be a bit more active um so she's been going to the gym after school quite a bit and i've been trying to work out kind of in the evenings and which is good like i'm happy that i'm able to um but it's it leads to me like not being able to wind down to like 11 30 at night which is not great when i'm up like seven times with kids throughout the night yeah so i think like any gains i'm making from working out is definitely lost by a lack of sleep. Yeah, you can't win. No, no, not the so age much. Where you'll never be happy or healthy. No, no, <laughs> that, that is true. But it, other than the lack of sleep and the general blahness of like winter, things have been pretty good for the most part. Like no, no real complaints. Kids have been good. You know, school's been good. Work's been good. All yeah. that stuff. So, how about you? What have you been up to lately? Uh, well, I have not recorded until since I've been in New Orleans. Oh, so yeah, yeah. We haven't, so we had a bit of a hiatus there. I was gone, and then it was crazy. I'll tell you that that is the worst time of year to go away. Oh my god! Yeah. So give some context for people because you did choose the worst time. <laughs> well, ever so the for thing is, I didn't choose it. No, uh, no, true. They do the it's the conference is only at this time, so I right. had to. But go you didn't then. have to go. No, I know that. So like <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, I wish it wasn't this time. Like I wish it was in February or. Early like March. Like two weeks later would have been fine. 100%. Yeah. I should be there now. So th- why was it such a bad timing? So it was in exam week, mm-hmm. which is fine in and of itself because then I'm not really missing teaching because like you just run your exams throughout the week and you have to teach right. the juniors. But um, so it's easier on the school not finding – and it's easier on me yeah. for planning. Like I'm just like give this exam and then that's yeah. it. No wonder they were okay with you – going because it is you're right it's way easier for the school but so i get back (laughs) i have to mark exams finish report cards and start a new semester all at once yeah and you know that i wasn't doing any marking or any planning in new orleans well you couldn't do marking yeah well that's the thing the exams were back there but yeah so anyway amazing time amazing city can't wait to go back what were the Top three highlights that, like, obviously the conference was great, but I got to be honest, yeah, no one a, wants to hear about the conference. It's a conference. Talk, talk about the best three things outside of the conference that you did, or the coolest things that you did while in New Orleans. Uh, went in a swamp, so saw some gators. Okay, uh, saw some swamp raccoons. There's tons of them. Were you on that like boat thing with the giant fan? On we the didn't back? do a fan boat. We went oh, for like. Fan boat. <laughs> the boat the boat thing thing with a fan. fan. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it was actually just called a fan boat. Yeah, it's just a fan boat. Okay. So we didn't do that because we just went for the cheapest option, and it would like they would pick it's you like up a canoe on a no. It's, it was a big boat. It was a quite a good outfit. Like they had like 
10 boats. They were just, they just do this so well. Such a well-oiled machine. Like you'd see tour buses going. And right. They ran all the tours in, in New Orleans. But they picked you up, bust you out, and it was like 88 bucks. And like they okay. did the tour. So it was, the fan boat would have been like 150 and you think you'd have to find your way there. Uh, so anyway, okay. I was just, <clears throat> didn't really have time to figure that stuff out because I was doing a conference. So uh, that was wicked. Yep. Went to an NBA game. That would be wicked. That was really good. I don't really care for basketball, but I love live sports. I had to think about, like, it took me a while to remember, like, what is the New Orleans basketball team? The Pelicans. I honestly, it it took me, like, ten minutes. Both my wife, and we, like, I'm not a big sports fan by any means, but I feel like I should know most of the NBA teams, and it took me a long time to remember that I'll tell you, the thing for the NBA, which is, I really appreciate it, is that the tickets were like thirty bucks? So we were in like the okay. top bowl. So don't really pay much, right? And the game, and you can see the game really well. Like it's not like it really bugged me where we sat. But Your videos were good. Yeah, I got a really good zoom on my cell phone though. Oh, okay. But in between, like all the commercial breaks, and in between the the periods or quarters, I guess, and at halftime, there's all these shows that in and of themselves are worth the thirty bucks. Oh, yeah? There's, like, a guy doing, like, a Cirque du Soleil thing at halftime, like, spinning around in rings and stuff. And okay. there's a marching band that came out. And there's, like, tons of cool stuff, like like wow. a drum line thing. So it was constant entertainment. I'm, like, the best 30 bucks I ever spent. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it was really good. And then number three, I mean, it's just a, a mix between the people and the food. Yeah. I mean, just talking to locals is the best. Like, yeah. And it was, like, at the restaurant. So you go there. Like, we find, like, these kind of local haunts. And we would eat supper there. Like, there's this one Cooper's place. If you're ever there, get the jambalaya. And I've never had jambalaya. It was so good. It I had, would love to. It had shrimp, crayfish, uh, sausage, and rabbit. Okay. And it was real spicy, real delicious. The place was kind of a dive, and it was, like, full of just local folks. And the lady who runs it is so nice. She's like, well, after we ate that, I'm like, it was the best thing I ate down there. Yeah. She's like, we're actually known for our fried chicken. I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, we should have known. And then she, like, gave us a bunch of free fried chicken. Oh, no way. Yeah. And then. Uh, and how was it? Oh, it was delicious. Yeah. Not as good as the jambalaya, but I'm not a big fried chicken guy. Okay. That's fair. But uh, and it was funny because we wanted just to stay there all night and talk to these people and, like, have a few drinks. But, like, he's like, we have to go explore. Like right, yeah. If I lived in New Orleans, I, I would be there all the time. Like right. I loved it, but we're like we have to go. Out. And then we went to another spot for some gator meat. And there's a guy. Who Is just, that where you got the gator pepperoni? No, I got that at the swamp. Oh okay. And then yeah, I got a gator head and all this stuff out there. Was it fresh? The the, what? the salami, like like I don't know how long salami. How long does salami take to cure? Yeah, well, I, no no cured meats are fresh. I know. I don't mean like fresh, fresh. I mean recent. I don't know. It's just it's in a pack. It's the same as basically like the gas station jerky, except it's gator. Okay. But it tastes. It t- you would never know. Yeah. It was. Yeah. But was, I've had alligator before, and I would never know I was eating alligator. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course the music, like it's, mm. it, it lives up to like what I hoped to be because I went as a kid, but I couldn't do much because I was thirteen. Right. But just every bar, every spot you go into, it's just live bands. And so, I mean, it was just music, food, and booze. Did they? Do you notice any kind of like like real Cajun accent at all, or is that more not like 
like put on? Um, it depends. Like some people have it, some people don't. Um, like your gambit isn't like walking around. No, but there are some people like that. So like, but then some people that talk normal. Okay. So kind of like around here with like a Nova Scotian accent, really. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. No, that's, that's I saw a lot of your Snapchats. I was like this, especially the food. I was very, very jealous. There was one thing I remember. You had was it po' boy? Yeah, that looked amazing. So there's yeah, there's a spot called Verde Mart, and they'll deliver for free like if you live in a certain area, right? But uh, it's this tiny market that like is packed. There's barely room to walk through it, and there's like all these aisles with toothbrushes and canned stuff. And at the back, there's just a deli counter, and they make some of the best po' boys and things in New Orleans. Okay, so it's just one of those spots, you know. It was the messiest, greasiest sandwich I've ever had, and it was so good. It was like your wrapping paper was clear. Yeah. I don't think it was supposed to be, but it was. I ate half, and then I went out, and then I ate the other half when I got home. And I was like, it was perfect. Yeah. And the only other thing I remember that was really cool from the video was just your Airbnb. Was it a brownstone or no? It was a a loft. Yeah. Um, So, like, we were in the warehouse district. Right. Which is pretty interesting. It's kind of cool. It's really close to my conference, and it was about ten minute walk from Bourbon Street and like the French Quarter. And it was like 120, 130 Canadian a night. Okay. And it was a huge loft. Yeah, like that all was. exposed brick, like two bedrooms, full kitchen. And I mean, my ceiling in the apartment is taller than my house. Like it yeah. was this huge, wide open loft. So it was really cool. It was the coolest Airbnb, and it was like super cheap. That's awesome. I'll have to say. The, that whole experience was wicked, but go, coming home was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Do you mean as in flight or just like getting back home to reality? Well, I guess both. Okay. I mean, it was hampered by the fact that the flights were awful, and then I'm yeah. heading back to like... I already have anxiety about starting a new semester and all the stuff I have to do, and I'm trying to get back. So I was supposed to land in Halifax at 4 p.m. on Saturday. Right. Our flight leaving was at like six o'clock from New Orleans. So Friday night, you know, we've already had our fun all week. So Friday night we go to bed at like nine thirty ten. I'm like, I'm conking out, trying to get a few hours. I have to be up at three thirty in the morning. Right. As I'm coming in, I see all these girls dressed up in skimpy, weird outfits like angels and devils. Okay. And they were incredibly rude. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we were like coming off the elevator, like, get off the elevator. Like they're like weirdly outspokenly rude. Anyway, and I, they had a party right next door to mine. Uh, and the one thing about these lofts is they carry sound. Right. Like, because I went with my buddy Mark. So, like, if you're talking from upstairs and he's downstairs, it sounds like you're right behind them. Right. Like, it really messes with you. So, anyway, I'm laying in bed. And just, right. And, like, and just screaming and stuff. And so I'm in and out of sleep. One thirty in the morning hits. There's just screaming and slamming out like people fighting right outside our door, and I'm like, "This is the states." I'm like half expecting a gunshot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just laying there like, "Oh my god!" So anyway, I didn't sleep. Yeah, and then we get up at three thirty, head to the airport, try to sleep on the floor in the airport. That's never really a good sleep. It's never good. Get on the flight to New Jersey, and then we're there watching a movie, just waiting, and our flight's delayed. 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 Canceled. So we run up. We get the last tickets because I'm like, 
I need to get home tonight. Like, I don't care what time I get home. I want to be in Nova Scotia tonight. Yeah. I have to get home and get ready and start a new semester on Monday. Yeah. And so originally they had just booked us for a flight from LaGuardia on Sunday without saying anything. They just shifted us. But we talked to them and we were the last ones to get on a flight out of New Jersey. That's awesome. And so. I mean, not really. It's really shitty that it happened, (laughs) but it's awesome you at least got the last two. So we fly to Toronto. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know what time it is when we land, probably around 7.30 or like 7.37. And then delayed, delayed, delayed. Our flight to Halifax keeps getting delayed. And we got the last two seats on that plane. And so finally we're flying out of Toronto at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. Like I was already supposed to be home at 7.30. Like in <laughs> And... um. What was cool is uh, I got bumped to first class. Oh, nice. I didn't even realize. So there was two tickets left. Yeah. Me and Mark got them. Yeah. Mark, I had the best seat on the plane. He had the worst seat on oh, the plane. Oh, no. <laughs> just luck of the draw. Yeah. He was in like very back, squished in the corner. You're just, your first, your name comes first alphabetically probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so first class. The thing is I couldn't enjoy it because when we land, I had to drive home. So like. Right. You know, they come yeah, you can't make Mark drive home after he, he gets stuck by the economy toilet and you're like yeah. up in first class just lounging. And I try to sleep, but I just can't sleep on planes. Like I no. had a beautiful, lots of space, but I just couldn't sleep. But I did. Was like, it a flatbed or no? No. It was no, just like okay. a leaning back chair, but I did have like a three course meal. Nice. And all that stuff. And But when they kept coming through with the booze card, I was like, no, thank you. And then, well, good um, for you. Good, good chill restraint. Yeah. And it's not even like. You can't, I wouldn't have. I was so tired that yeah. like if I even had a sip of something, like, like I'm like, there's no way I can do anything because I'm gonna fall asleep. And so we landed, and then they lost my luggage. Oh. <laughs> but we land. Was it Air Canada? Um, yeah, it was Air Canada. Yeah, of course. It was. Yeah. Why did I ask? Of course, yeah, it's Air Canada. I was upset. So we get into town around one thirty in the morning into Halifax. Between one thirty and two, and by the time like I had to deal with the lost luggage, all that stuff, I got home at five forty in the morning. Ugh. And it, so with within That's this Sunday morning at five forty, <laughs> yeah. So within this, I don't know, fifty six hour period, I slept maybe four broken hours of sleep. Ugh. So it was rough. So then my whole plan of being productive Sunday and like getting ready, like I just slept, and then yeah. I was a zombie. But. Anyways. Well, you made it through. Yeah. Good on you. But that is, that, I feel like that basically your story sums up almost all travel nowadays. And it's just like constantly being at the whim of the airline. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's and not like they're not even trying. No, and they because they know they don't have to. They don't care. They know that you don't have other options, especially in Canada. In the States, I feel like they try a bit more because there are so many other airlines you can choose from. Here, it's, like, really, like, Air Canada or WestJet, really, for the most part. So they could basically do whatever they want. It doesn't matter. Friggin' yeah, monopolies. Sure. Uh, what was funny is I was sitting next to, and, like, in the airport, he came over, and, and he was kind of complaining to us, this guy. And then I ended up in first class beside him, and he's a conservative senator out from Halifax. Okay. I forget his name, but, like, he works in Parliament. You know, yeah. Like, and he was just going off about 
the monopoly on flights and things. Yeah. And, and he's always have he has to fly anytime Parliament's sitting, right? So like he's back and forth three times a week. Oh God. And um and like he's just ranting and He's like, I'm just gonna do everything in my power just to open up to anyone that wants to start like a plane, like bring Ryanair and bring Lufthansa and who cares? Like create yeah. some sort of competition so that we can actually get decent treatment. Because it's it'd be one thing like so like when I fly, I've flown Flare before, and yeah. like even then, still I feel like I still got better treatment than Air Canada. Like they they texted me early in the morning we had to fly out, and they pushed our flight back like three hours or two and a half hours or three hours or whatever. And like we're so so sorry. And when I got to the airport, they had like snacks for us to apologize for being late. Yeah, I'm like but you didn't delay us at the airport. Yeah. Like, we knew ahead of time that we could spend more time in the pool before we left. Yeah. So it didn't didn't really change anything for us. I was like, okay. And they were still, like, great on the, like, plane, everything like that. Air Canada, they have, like, same thing. They've, like, canceled my flight. Or they've been like, oh, yeah, we've delayed you, uh, like, six hours. Like, okay, why? Like, mm. You know. Didn't just cause. I'm like, well, can I get like a voucher for food because you delayed me? No. <laughs> we did get a twenty dollar food voucher. Okay. Um, Which is great when they cancel your flight. Yeah. In an airport where everything costs twenty five plus. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yes. Exactly. And and you like so our plan was to go to Starbucks and just try to spend twenty dollars on a drink. It's something to do. Yeah. And then Starbucks, oh, we don't accept food vouchers. I'm like, so it's not even <laughs> everywhere, can't guys. Even use it. Like, you are a restaurant, aren't you? Like, so anyway. So no, and I, I've had so many experiences. Like I remember, I used to get these uh, vouchers for the Air Canada Lounge, and I give like I I would get free like lounge access no matter what because I flew so much. And so I give them to like my parents or like my brother-in-law or whoever, and they'd constantly be like, "We're not allowed to use this voucher here." I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, it's because you're flying. It was like if you because f- you always flew domestic first because we were flying from Nova Scotia to then Toronto yeah. to then international. Yeah. It's like if you've arrived from here in domestic, you can't access this lounge. So like so basically only if you fly from Toronto are you allowed to access this lounge with this voucher. Oh, okay, like yeah. that is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Like ab- like my next flight is international. Yeah, whatever like, you whatever they can do, man. Yeah. So I just I hate stuff like that. I did I did really like the lounge though. Free booze and a shower was nice. That is sweet. Yeah. Um I'll tell you before we get into it. The other thing I watched this YouTuber Cody Co. I mean he's super famous. He's really funny, he's good. Okay. And I don't know. Anyway, he's where he's where he's one of those commentary channels. But he, <laughs> I just watched a third one today. He's been re- reviewing this show uh, called Milf Manor, and it's a new dating show. And like okay. he likes doing all the weird dating shows because they're just so insane. But it's like the death of culture. It is the most sorry, sorry, Milf Milf Manor. As a mother, I'd like to yeah. Oh God. So the premise is they bring. I don't know, 12 MILFs, these, like, women between, like, 48 and 60 to this mansion. It's a dating show, so they're Mm -hmm. trying to find love. And then the twist at the end is the men that they're going to be into are each other's 20-year-old sons. 
No. Yeah, it's the most. No. No, I'm not joking. Like, this is a show on TV right now. No. It is upsettingly uncomfortable. They must all know this. Like, if if your own son is there. I think the sons know it. Uh, I mean, they probably, it's all fake. Like, it's all reality. But, like, just the premise of it is so perverse and weird and uncomfortable. (laughs) Anyway, so, like, that's a real show. And then they're like, these 58 year old women are like, I'm going to have sex with your son, like, to each (laughs) other. And, like, it's just so, oh, it's terrifying. I, I have major issues with any reality show that, deliberately deceives its contestants with the exception of like like a competition show so like when survivor and they introduce a new twist or big brother and they introduce a new twist it's like well whatever like that's not yeah that's that different. bad it's i hate shows that go out of their way to humiliate their contestants yeah like that that try to do that like i think of some other examples like i remember do you remember it was a long time ago it was a show called joe millionaire Yes. Okay, so the initial one, I still remember this. I've read, like, articles about it. In it, they showed this woman and the guy who was in it. The premise of the show was, like, he pretended to be a millionaire, like, really, really wealthy, but he wasn't. He was, like, just, like, a carpenter. Yeah. So, but all the women thought he was a millionaire. But the worst thing that the, the producers did is they showed, like, the two of them going off into the woods. And then oh, yes, I, you I, you I just it. heard this, like, sucking sound basically yeah, and yeah. on on the bottom it said like in quotations like sucking sound yeah. so it sounded like she was giving him like oral sex yeah that never happened yeah it was all manipulation it was completely like, it was like what's it? it's like a frankenbite i think it's what they call it where they take something from uh, like somewhere else in the show and put it in at that moment to make it seem like it's happening then yeah but it never happened and like the woman who was on it was like fired from her job, had a hard time getting another job afterwards because of it. Because like we don't approve of this being on air of you like giving oral sex, and that's like that, our company doesn't approve of that. She's like it didn't happen. Yeah. And in the end, the production company basically refused to admit that it didn't happen for years because they wanted it to seem that way. And like she was, like think of like your family and your friends watching, and she didn't know. She didn't know it was happening until. She saw the show itself live, so she's not. She couldn't even like warn people, be like, "Oh yeah, this didn't happen, but it's coming up." So she was just watching yeah, at like, home with her friends, yeah, friends and, and just, family. Just like turn and look at her, be like, "Did you just give like a blowjob on camera?" Basically, she's like, "No, it didn't happen." Yeah. So there was that one. The other one I could think of is I, I heard a podcast about it. It's called "There's Something About Miriam." Have you ever heard this one? No. So this one is. It was, so it's a British one, and it. This is really, 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 really bad. It's it's labeled one of the worst ones as well. And it was came out like early, early 2000s, like 2002, 2003 kind of thing. I'm not sure when it came out. But basically what it was, it was like six young guys who were invited to Ibiza, Ibiza. I don't know. I just say Ibiza. Ibiza. Ibiza's uh, douchey. I know. I feel that way too. But I'm Maybe like, if you're Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> They were they were invited to this uh, island, and their their goal was to like get with this girl, and if they won, if she picked them in the end, they got to go on like a trip of a like a, a crazy awesome trip, which yeah. sounds great, and then they could decide whether they want to continue the relationship. So the thing is, though, and this is what a lot of people had like problems with, is that they deliberately deceived the contestants, and 
like she did as well because she was she was actually transgender from male to female which that wasn't the issue the issue was that like they were not open remotely about it they did everything they could to hide that including the lead character and leading up to this big moment at the end where they're like oh by the way yeah i'm also like i was born a male and like I have, I, I think at that point she hadn't completed the surgery, so she still had male genitalia and stuff like that. Yeah. So a lot of activist groups were like, "You're making this horrible for every yeah, like, transgender on, person <laughs> on all fronts and everything." And then of course the name of the show is something about Miriam. So exactly. Like, yeah, that's crazy. And like, well, so the, all of the going into it, everyone watching it knew. So oh, they okay. made it a, like that's the worst part of it. They made it a joke. Like, yeah. they tried to make it, like, seem as if she, like, well, they, they were being deliberately sneaky. Yeah. And some of the competitions they had the guys do to just to get up and, like, meet her were, like, genuinely dangerous. <laughs> they were like, see that boat in the middle of the ocean? Miriam's on there. Go swim and get her. And it was, like, these <laughs> no giants. Life jackets, no. no life jackets. No No rescue boats. At all, they had to actually get a rescue boat for somebody because he was drowning. Yeah, and like no preparation. So that one, and then the guys at the end, like they they didn't know what to do. And this is early two thousand, so the reaction was like to to literally laugh. And this poor girl as well just admits in front of all of national television that she was transgender. She's got these guys laughing, and no one from production does anything. There's like, yeah, you figure it out. So it, it was yeah. really, 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 really bad. Like there's so many transgender activists that are like, you're making a mockery. You're, you're implying that yeah. all of us are trying like a, to. A punchline. Yeah. It, it just, it was so, so bad. And like, I've seen the clip where, you, where, you know, Miriam tells all the guys and it's just so uncomfortable yeah. Because you you could tell they've just built it up to have this relationship with this person, and the, and the guy who wins is like, yeah, I guess I'll go. Do you know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> yeah. like, well, what do you do? Like there's yeah. like a couple cameras in your face, yeah, and you're thinking like back to your friends at home, your family at home, your job at home as well too, all being deceived by this production company. Yeah. So I I hate any show that does that because it's just. It's it's ruining genuinely ruining lives back home on yeah. purpose. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so like this this poor girl, like I think later on she actually ended up like I think maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to say this. I feel like she maybe committed suicide a little bit later. Oh, wow. And a lot of it was from the really negative attention she received. Yeah. The news. <laughs> Sorry, look like you're gonna else. say something. Uh, no, sorry, I I was actually going over my story for a second no, while that fair. was going on. Yeah, it's good concentration music. Yeah. It really helps you focus. Yeah, absolutely, the yeah. jarring music really helps me focus. Let's start off in BC, uh, okay, in Fraser Valley, mm-hmm. Chilliwack. I actually knew I've a guy. Been there. I knew a guy from Chilliwack. I've never been there. And reading this story, I have to laugh. Like, he was from, like, a big Catholic family there. Like, they had, like, ten kids. Yeah. And they all hunt for all their meat. Okay. He was very outdoorsy. uh, Interesting fellow. But on Monday, the police had to start tweeting 
asking people to stop discarding their ammo in the garbage, <laughs> like oh live God. ammunition. So the upper Fraser what, Valley, so like un, unused ammo, yeah, live, oh live ammunition. Um, <laughs> that safe disposal of ammunition should be facilitated by co- contacting the police and dropping it off at the police department. And um, it's just a quick thing, but they found bullets and shotgun shells in like curbside garbage containers. And Why so, are you chucking out live ammunition? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They're like, ah, maybe I'm hanging up the gun. You know, I'm done. Like, get rid of it. <laughs> There's nothing that could go wrong with explosives, essentially, in a garbage can. <laughs> yeah. And, like, that was kind of it for the story, but I have to laugh. I'm on CTV News, and there's two related stories underneath, and one is military team called after live grenade turned into BC police station. <laughs> and then the second one is from 2019, and it's... Live ammunition and other hazardous materials left in residential recycling. <laughs> like so, this, <laughs> this is a, three a years ago, issue. yeah, they were still doing it. And there's this friggin' picture of like a worker at like a recycling depot holding a stick of dynamite. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who just has access to dynamite? Is this like Wiley Coyote? I don't what know. What is happening? There's something going on in uh, in BC, I think. Which. I find a little surprising. I don't know why. I always expect BC to be more like hippy dippy. Well, because they're just snobby. Maybe they, like they they. I don't even need these shotgun shells anymore. I'll, like, isn't a shotgun shell like pretty expensive? Like it's relatively, not, like that expensive. They should make them more expensive. Well, that was a Chris Rock bit. I know. I know. Yeah, that was a good bit. Yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, I apologize if you're talking about this, and I'm sorry that I'm bringing up. I don't think we ever mentioned or talked about like the six-year-old kid who shot his teacher in the states. We didn't, um, but yeah, apparently that kid he was known as an issue and a risk. Yeah, and yeah, he took his parents' gun and shot his teacher. Well, what's even more disturbing than that? I mean, that's obviously very disturbing for a six-year-old to have done that. Is that like the administration, like every chance they had to somewhat pick up the ball to deal with the situation. It was like, here's a giant boulder rolling by. I'm going to like go into this class. Like they, they reported that like six different teachers, TAs and people said, I'm pretty sure this kid has a gun in his bag. Yeah. And the admin, like, I think at one point they said, okay, we'll, we'll grab his bag. And so they did, but it wasn't in there because he had it on his person. And they never bothered to ask, like, okay, can you, like, I need, we need to check whether you've got a gun. They're like, oh, no, he's fine. This yeah, won't be a problem. Six. He's six. What's going to happen? And then that happened. So, obviously, yeah. the teacher's now suing. And I can also picture, like, it's the states, like, probably not getting any kind of workers' comp. <laughs> no. Like, she has to pay for her medical bills, probably. Yeah. And she's going to go broke. And- yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and the family's like, we're really sorry this happened. And she makes twenty thousand a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, that's what I don't get. Like, I just, I mean, there's lots of behavioral issues with with people, obviously, and, and young and old. But I, did, did you read at all the letter that they wrote? No. Basically, being like, oh, we're really sorry this happened. It was the first day. Like, I guess they had a behavioral plan where a parent went with the student every day to school. Basically, to monitor the behavior, okay. and that this kid had already been kicked out of and like expelled from a school, maybe two schools as well, and so and then was in this one, got in trouble, and rather than getting expelled, moved to another class. 
Okay. So, like, major, major behavioral issues with this. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, obviously, if you're having this many issues, maybe you should have just stayed in the classroom at all times. Yeah. Like, if, if you've had to do that and you've been this many issues, like, Maybe see somebody as well. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Maybe deal with this in, yeah, a, in another capacity. Yeah, the root capacity. of the, uh, the issue. Yeah, but thankfully, thankfully, the teacher is okay. They yeah. they're back home. They're out of the hospital. Family's taking care of them. Um, and she did a really good job. She said, like, even though she had been shot in the hand and chest, she managed to get all the kids out of the room, all the TAs out of the room while she stayed there, dealing with the situation while having a bullet lodged in her or, or gone through, I don't know which. Yeah. And then they were able to actually deal with the situation. She went to the hospital. So that's, I don't know if I'd have that composure. Yeah, I don't know. You, you don't know until you're in that situation. True. Uh, hopefully never. Yeah. I just don't. That was the interesting thing too about being at this teacher conference in the States and like knowing like all of the bills that ban any book that has to deal with anything in sexuality and gender yeah. or race, like all in the South. And I'm in the South, you know, yeah. like I'm right beside Houston. Like that's how South we are. Yeah. And, and knowing like just all the crazy shit going on in schools and teachers and shooting. Like, I'm just like, how do you guys do it? And get paid nothing. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm like, I, why are all you guys teachers? I would not be a teacher. No, I would never teach if in you, the States. Like if you literally, there's a, like a chance that you get shot at your work and that's not even like overstating it. You know what I mean? Like, and there's just no. And so that's kind of brings me to this, that Montana, like they're still doing it. Um, there's a bill being introduced in Montana that they want to basically stop scientific theories from being taught in school. Oh, God. Montana? Montana. I think Montana was that yeah. backwards. So, the, the Republican that sponsors the bill, he says, is to prevent th- teachings of things that aren't true. So, the, so Do they have a list of things that are not true out of curiosity? Well, the problem is, is like most of science is theory. It's an evolving... But theory is basically... Like, a theory is the closest thing to a fact that science can get. If you say that... Well, yeah. Like, like the like, thing... The nice thing about science is they're up front. Yeah. They're like... Like, plate tectonics is a theory. Yeah. Now, it's very likely true, but yeah. we don't know for sure, so we won't call it a fact because yeah. this is science, so we're going to do due diligence. Isn't, does, isn't gravity technically theory? Yeah, most things are. Yeah, so, I mean? like, like, that's what? the thing. It's just like an anti-science bill. Yeah. So he says, whereas the purpose of K-12 education is to educate children in facts of our world, to better prepare them for the future and the further education in the chosen field of study. To that end, children must know the difference between scientific fact and scientific theory. So he says, where fact is observable and repeatable and it does not meet these criteria, it is a theory that is defined as speculation. It is for higher education to explore, debate, and test. So he's like, keep it out of school. So... (laughs) So basically just no science. Yeah, which is funny. Like, as a science teacher, I always, I talk about the idea, like, I see the theory of plate tectonics, and I explain why it's a theory. Yeah. But but anyway, yeah, so that's just. There's the, just like a kraken moving around the oceans, fucking <laughs> things up. Yeah. yeah. The amount of kids that think that the Earth's plates float on waters. Fun. That's a little different. <laughs> 
Sorry, that is well, that's of, what, that is funny. But that's what he wants every because we can't teach them how it actually works. So this senator, senator, congressman, I don't know, uh, senator, senator, who's who's doing this? Like, is this really about that, or is it they're they're trying to in, incorporate more of their religion into the? Yeah, it's it's just they're they're all out assault on liberal ideas, actual education. Scientific thought. Like, I believe that there's a systematic attempt to make Americans dumber. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, I view how they pay their teachers, how they treat their teachers, what they're doing, the laws are passing. There's a... Their Republicans especially are trying to keep their constituents stupid. Yeah. So that they can take advantage of them. There's no other explanation. Unless they're doing it... Like, they're just... I mean, I think... It becomes cyclical. Yeah. Right? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. As, as this generation is, is becoming poorly educated... They become poorly educated senators, yeah. Which then no, re- but I think they're much more insidious than that. I don't think they're doing it out of ignorance. I mean, so, maybe a few, but some are pretty young, so they probably are. But like, do you think they get a crash course in this when they arrive? I think yeah, like you when you're taking all that money from the white nationalists, like yeah, you know, the rich yeah, billionaire white nationalists, and they're telling you things to do. You're taking your marching orders from. Where the money is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I'm a little conspiratorial when it comes to that stuff. And I can see your point of view. I don't know if it's necessarily that bad. Because there are still places that do, like, there are some states actually pay fairly well for teachers. Or or comparable, at least, to to Canada standards. And with, like, similar benefits and stuff. Democratic states. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that is true. I mean, it is, I, I, I just don't get. And I've I've talked to this with Aaron before. I'm like, it's so hard. It must be how they feel as well to understand that point of view because I am so entrenched in mind of like I believe in science, I believe in equity, I believe in you know like people should be treated equally regardless of you know gender, race, creed, sexuality, all of that stuff. And so to have somebody who just believe, doesn't believe that, I don't understand how you can be that way. Yeah. But I'm sure they also feel that same way about me. Like, how could you believe that this person, because of the religion, is actually equal to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, 100%. Like, because they've been trained that way their whole life. Yeah. So like, same as us. But, yeah, there is a disconnect. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, it's really unfortunate. But you're right. Like, I, you do see a serious decline in the education system in, in a lot of places. Yeah. And that's just, and then you're already fighting the issues with social media and stuff, ruining attention spans and all that stuff that we bump up against. Anyway, let's run into something different. So let's go to Dallas. So we are staying in, uh, going to the American South. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So this story is from January 24th. I want to give a bit of a lead up because this is one that I almost did on the podcast the other day. The other day. (laughs) The other week. (laughs) (laughs) A little little while ago. Um, So there was an endangered vulture that was found dead uh, back in January 24th at the Dallas Zoo. And it had unusual wounds. But this was the third suspicious incident at the zoo in like a two-week span. Okay. So it was an adult lapid-faced vulture died over the weekend inside its enclosure. And they said the circumstances of the death are unusual and the death does not appear to be from natural causes. So in the past 10 days at that time, 
They had to step up security, limiting access to outdoor enclosures and adding cameras and guards. Um, because other incidents that happened um, uh, with uh, monkeys and snow leopards. Mm-hmm. So on Jan 13th, a four-year-old missing clouded leopard named Nova caused the zoo to shut down, but they found it on the ground safely secured. Mm-hmm. And then they noticed it was uh, missing from her habitat and noticed a tear in the mesh of her enclosure. So it had been kind of cut open. Okay. And then on the 14th of January. This so, year? Yeah. Okay. So all, all this is happening this year. Um, Nova... Es- at the day after Nova escaped, they found a cut in her um, enclosure, as I said. They opened a criminal probe, and then they found cuts in the enclosures of the Langer monkeys. Okay. So this vulture was 35-year-old and found dead, and they're trying. So at the time, they're, they didn't know what happened. But what seems to happen is someone was trying to take it, and it died as a result. Oh, uh, Okay. Fast forward, they found the guy. Oh, okay. Okay, so this is from a couple days ago. Uh, A 24-year-old man was linked to an unusual string of crimes that kept the Dallas Zoo on the lookout for missing animals. So he stole two monkeys from the enclosure and took them onto the city's light rail system. Oh, my God. To to get away. (sighs) And this is the best. And no one was okay. So Sorry, Davian, continue. Davian Irvin was like, he loves animals, and like he's like, if you release me from jail, I will do this again. <laughs> he's honest. If I mean, not the anything dude else. over this like five week period has just been going to the zoo and trying to steal animals, and then he finally stole these monkeys. He's like, let me out, I dare you. I'm going to steal more animals. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if he's a little mentally ill or not, but. So he remained jailed uh, on a $25,000 bond, was arrested last week uh, after he started. He was at an aquarium, and he was asking some weird questions about the animals there. How would you steal something from an aquarium? That whale shark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could smuggle it out. Uh, randomly, you might know this, and I, I don't know if you Why don't they have, like, shark sharks in an aquarium, like a great white? Um, they need space. Like a more than a whale shark? Well, I think that's pretty cruel too. Um, I don't know why they need they don't have shark sharks. I know there's that idea that if they stop moving they die, which is not true. Okay. But they do need to keep moving. Right. But they can like have like they can sleep. Like some people yeah. say like sharks don't sleep, which is just false. Um but yeah, just I think difficulty of taking care. Like okay. you think of like a whale shark, I think eats plankton and yeah. like zooplankton and stuff where a shark needs like a great white needs a seal right but they have like nurse sharks i've seen those in aquariums but how big's a nurse shark pretty big just google it while i talk i don't want to because i'm terrified of sharks i was, hope- <laughs> I was hoping you would google it well, while I-, I talk and then just tell me <laughs> yeah well i mean if you want to start talking and uh i will but let's let's keep going through this for a second sorry yeah I find it interesting that he claims he's an animal lover when he killed an endangered vulture trying yeah. to steal it. Like, like fuck you, man. <laughs> so, like, what was his procedure? Like, he just go in, like, an X-Acto knife and just, like, slice it open? Yeah, well... The, the container, so, on the night that he was animal. successful, yeah. 
he said on the night of January 29th, he waited until dark, jumped a fence to get onto zoo grounds, cut the metal mesh of an enclosure, it doesn't really say how, and took the two tamarind monkeys. And then he went on the subway before walking into the like his a home that he kept his animals. So they found the monkeys. There was a tip from the public being like, yo, this dude's got tamarind monkeys. <laughs> probably just monkeys. They, the public probably didn't know They're what like, type of monkeys. God damn, old man, you got some monkeys up in the living room and I saw on the paper. That you was missing monkeys. This wasn't this in Dallas. I know. I don't. It's all Texas, whatever. Yeah, fair. I know. It's the most not like that of all Texas. Yeah. So the monkeys Bella and Finn were found on January thirty first, the day after they were missing. Um, they also found multiple cats and pigeons, and <laughs> dead feeder fish and fish food. Who keeps pigeons? Like other than the lady from Home Alone two. Well, Yarmouth had a pigeon man. Years ago. Really? Yeah. Um, close to, they had to tear down his house and stuff. He was a brilliant professor. Okay. And then he kind of broke mentally something in there. And, he, yeah, he lived close to St. Ambrose, and he had hundreds of pigeons that lived in his house. Everything was covered in pigeon shit. They ended up destroying his house. Like, it was a terrible. Wow. Down. Okay. Um, yeah, look up Yarmouth Pigeon Man. Uh, that I will look up while you continue to talk. But, yeah. Um so, anyway, he got arrested. He's a terrible person, uh, pretty selfish. Yeah. And he killed an endangered animal in his so-called love of animals. So, yeah. Here's an interesting, like, quick side note. I like this idea. Um, Michigan has a black lake sturgeon fishing season, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're kind of a more rare fish. And this reminds me, there's an African fishing festival where they're like, they, it happens one day. Okay. So one day of the year, everyone gets a basket and goes to this one lake, and you can fish. Okay. It's this huge competition, a big celebration thing. It gets a little competitive, but... uh, Do people put, like, weights in their fish to make them look bigger? (laughs) No, this is... In in that one, the idea is just to catch a fish for your family, right? Oh, okay. But... That's much more wholesome. Yeah, they they don't want to overfish, so it's just one day. Okay. Smart. I like that. In Michigan, this is kind of similar, where... The fishing system, it lasts until six are caught. So once six sturgeon are caught or the day ends, the season is over. So, oh, wow. So this year's fishing season was 65 minutes long. Wow. So I like that. How do you – so if a bunch of people are out, how do you report a sturgeon caught right away that everyone would know? I mean, I think it's become a thing, kind of like a tournament kind of kind of feel where you have monitors everywhere and – Oh, okay. And I think people get behind it, so. I guess, And I'm yeah. sure there's a black, uh, black lake sturgeon poacher out there somewhere, but it's kind of nice to see. Yeah. I always appreciate when people do, like, responsible, you know, fish farming or, you know. Yeah. Fishing or no, hunting yeah, like, or whatever. Yeah, as long as it's sustainable. Like, so that's why I think that's cool. Yeah. Like, I like that. Uh, let's hop over to the Pacific Ocean. Just the ocean itself? Not, not even. Not a, even an island or... A place or anything. Okay. So, like, you know, you hear about, like, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Yes. It's, like, and the size of Texas or something. I remember seeing all these documentaries of, of bycatch and of fish getting caught up in fish nets. I think somebody's trying to do something better for the fish. Instead of, like, getting them all caught up in nets, they just want to get them rip shit high on cocaine. <laughs> because... <laughs> 
they saw the cocaine bear and were like, hmm, yeah. I can one-up this. What about cocaine great white? Oh, my, no. No, they... <laughs> yeah, your worst fear. That... It's like a great white. It really white. doesn't sleep. It's like a great white shark, but way faster and more paranoid. Oh um, my god, that is that would both Benton and I would. Oh my god, well we'd die, no question. No, I say that because they just found enough cocaine to supply Australia for a year floating in the Pacific. What does that mean? That what do you means, mean the amount of cocaine to supply? <laughs> this, is, this isn't water, like where you know how much cocaine someone needs in a day. I know, but I think they could like it's okay to give you a real number: three and a half metric tons. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Covered it. That so, is. I want to see how many grams. How much? How many grams is that? I have no I idea. I will Google that. So it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, Three and a half metric tons were floating in the Pacific Ocean off of the coast of New Zealand. So it's the biggest drug bust in New Zealand history. There were 81 packets with Batman logos on them tied to a series of nets and buoys. And there were about six days sailing from New Zealand. They're, they're sailing on what the police are thinking is a transit point. So they drop them there, leave them float. And then probably smugglers from Australia would come get them and bring them into Australia. Did you get a number? Yeah, so it would be three and a half million grams. Okay. You know. So, But I don't know how much, like, I, I literally don't even know, like, how much one person takes of yeah, cocaine. Do you so, know what I mean? So I don't know. I mean, so the cops. It's obviously a lot of cocaine. The cops are saying it's basically like the year supply for all the dealers in Australia. Okay. So not, like, like, not like everyone in Australia gets a gram a day for a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they said it was three decades worth of cocaine for everyone in New Zealand. I mean, it's a lot smaller. Yeah. So they think South American linked drug cartels uh, that were under surveillance during a mission dubbed Operation Hydros. Um, eventually, like watching them, led to the seizure of a floating drugstore, uh, which is this huge raft of cocaine. But imagine if a bunch of sharks just saw it and attacked it, and then got this looks like a big seal. Yeah, yeah no, that I also wonder too. Immediately, like how much money would that be? Yeah, did you say I was googling? So I don't think uh, you said. hundreds of millions. It just says I don't know. Wow. That's a lot of cocaine. Imagine yeah. if the cocaine bear got into that. <laughs> it would be dead. <laughs> like There would be no movie. <laughs> it died. <laughs> um, it had a fun time while before it did. I have one last news story. Okay. A lot's been happening. And this one... I'm gonna so it happens when you don't record for like three weeks. <laughs> this one's dark. Uh, it, it's a little graphic. So Does it involve warned. a shark? No, it doesn't involve a shark. Then I'm probably okay. It involves the dismembered human penis. Ugh. Yeah. Found in a parking lot of an Alabama gas station. Ah. Oh. And how it got there is even more terrifying than the fact that it was there. So someone came out and they found a penis just laying in the parking lot. And they're like, what the hell? So the cops are called. Everybody came. And then the cop said, there's no foul play. Suggested, like, it's not a homicide. It's not an assault case. It was like a clean cut no. off penis? No. This is where it gets bad. Oh, do I want to hear this? <laughs> I don't know. We might cut this out. 
Um, there was a motorcyclist. Uh, so this is Mobile, Alabama. Oh this, no! It's not even what you think. I don't even understand how this happens. Okay, this just, is, just go. I'm already squeamish, but I'm fine. He, I'll get through this. I, this person won't. His bike slid, mm-hmm. and he flew off into the highway. And then he proceeded to get run over by multiple cars. Oh my god! Like like several, like one after the other, over a ser- like a time span, and no one stopped. Except for one person that hit him. So, like, he got hit and hit and hit on the highway, and no one pulled it. They just kept driving. Oh, my God. And so, obviously, the more he gets hit, the more he's disfigured. And then a truck hit him, and his penis lodged in the front of the truck. And then the truck drove it to the gas station. And when the truck stopped to get gas, it fell in the parking lot. It is the most insane story I have ever heard. Was he okay? No. <laughs> he was sorry. That was that was inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Obviously, he's not. Um, I'm you. sorry to hear that. <laughs> sorry to his family there's if a, somehow they're listening. There's an inappropriate joke. Like I heard about it on a podcast I was listening to today. Yeah. Because I this happened like a week ago. I heard nothing about it, and I yeah. looked for news, and I never heard anything about this. Um. And their joke was, a penis went mobile to a mobile in Mobile. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> uh, Mobile is a yes. gas station. Yes. We it's, have one here. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awful. So, yeah, he basically... I just don't understand how several people can run over a human... No, I know. ...and not know and not stop. Oh, I'm sure they knew. And they just kept driving. kept kept going. That's insane. Yeah, like it's not a squirrel roadkill. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't even do that to a porcupine or a raccoon. You know, you don't want to hurt your car. But like, obviously, they didn't mean to hit him. But like afterwards, and like this poor guy. I mean, who knows when he, you know, finally went? Yeah, like it could have it could have been that truck. I know. Yeah, it's terrifying. So anyway, I'm. I'm it's just the most. It's so insane. I had to share it. Yeah, um, like, it is. It is almost unbelievable. Yeah, Do you, like I, I remember um, somewhat tangentially related to this. I think I've talked about it. Like when we, when I was living overseas, there was the story. Like, so I think this law has changed now, but for a while in China, it was like if you hit somebody with your car you were in charge of obviously paying all of their medical bills, like even past insurance. Like like basically they weren't covered insurance. You had to pay for it. So what people would do is if they hit somebody with their car, it was very common for a while for people to go back, essentially run them over again until they died or shoot them because that was less expensive than the medical bills. Don't they, they have the death penalty over there? Wouldn't they get the death penalty for murder? Like if they get caught for it or whatever? No, because what they would what they would say, unless because it was harder to prove, would although it still could be proven, was like hitting them was an accident. Yeah. So they would say vehicular manslaughter. Okay. Right, and you wouldn't get the death penalty for that. Yeah. All right. Except for the bullet. If you shot him, then it's hard That's to argue. A bit different. My car had a loose bullet. 
Yeah. I was coming from Chilliwack, and I had bullets <laughs> in my garbage. And- just It dropped and fell. I think what the, one guy said, I remember, was like, well, they were going to die anyway. I wanted to put them out of their misery. But he still didn't get death penalty for that. Yeah. So, But it was like, I, I think his thought was, I'm probably going to go to jail regardless. I don't yeah. want to have to pay all these medical bills and go to jail. Yeah. So let's go to jail. Great. So, awesome humans. Yeah, and I guess two weeks before this, I guess this, this Interstate 10 where it happened, there was a Louisiana man was killed uh, walking alongside of it. So I guess it's quite a sketchy highway. Yeah. Um, but that's the way it goes. Okay. Let's go. Let's talk about something lighter. Um, maybe a murder, perhaps. <laughs> Human. Well done cutting that. Yeah, uh, yeah mine's <laughs> very light. It's not at all. It's not bad. It's a little bad. Not mm. not nearly as dark as some other stories we've told, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even as dark as some of the stories I've told. So, All right. So this is a story from the mid-'70s uh, about a person named Patty Hearst. Now, have you heard the last name Hearst? at all in like the states like have you have, that's it is a really famous name in the states but i'm not sure if you maybe have heard of it only hayden hurst the tight end for the Bengals. so no i mean maybe related i don't think so um so let me begin i'll kind of say the first paragraph that i've got and from there i'll tell you a little bit more about the hurst family okay so this is a story about patty or patricia hurst i'm going to say patty most of the time though so Patty Hearst was born in San Mateo, California, to Randolph Apperson Hearst. Just hearing that name, Randolph Apperson Hearst, what do you think their socioeconomic status is? <laughs> they have slave money. <laughs> They've got lots of money. <laughs> so who was the president of the San Francisco Examiner newspaper? Her grandfather was that flamboyant newspaper magnet, William Randolph Hearst. So William Randolph Hearst is very well known in the States, uh, who basically had all of these newspaper companies and became incredibly wealthy. If you look up something called the Hearst Castle, I think it's the most expensive home in the States. One of. And what um, the movie Citizen Kane, the, the main guy in that is based off of William Randolph Hearst. Okay. Okay. So um, just incredible. Like, beyond wealthy like at the time you know when he first came around like would be up there with like maybe not as much as a carnegie or rockefeller but like very 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 wealthy isn't it carnegie i thought it was carnegie oh it's Car- Car- carnegie hall. hall yeah i've heard both but i think you're right i think it's carnegie <laughs> you're dumb ah whatever <laughs> I don't disagree. Oh, yeah. All right. Sorry. So, anyways. So, just keep... That is an important part of the story. So, like, um, she was very, very, very wealthy. And she grew up, like, spending summers at this Hearst Castle that had, like, hundreds of acres and this incredible pool. Like, if you look... If you Google Hearst Castle and you see the images from it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. So she grew up in the wealthy suburb of Hillsborough in San Francisco. She attended really expensive girls' schools, and basically her whole life she was being groomed by her family to just be 
a wealthy, like, socialite heiress. Like, she didn't, her family didn't expect her to have much other than that, like, basically marry someone else who was also wealthy using their money and investments to, to become wealthier. But she wanted to be a bit more, she went to university, like, college. Yeah, and she, she had wants to, to be a little more grounded. A little more grounded, a little more independent. Um, yeah. But realistically, like, her whole life, she was. Yeah, it just, doesn't stand a chance. Like, no. Yeah, she's too. Yeah, she was. She yeah, she had to be a socialite. Anyway, so on the evening of February fourth, nineteen seventy four, Patty Hearst, who was then nineteen, was with her fiance Stephen Weed. They were in their apartment in Berkeley, California, and it was about nine p.m. that our story begins. So at nine p.m., uh, she answered a knock at the door. A woman was standing there in a state of disarray. The woman looked at Patty and said that she had accidentally backed into a car in the parking garage and was wondering if she could use her phone to call somebody to come get her. Patty basically sensed that something was a little weird and started to ask the woman more questions like, like, well, which car do you have? Like, what color is it? Like, is it my car? Is it somebody else's? Like, I didn't hear anything. That's a little strange, whatever. But overhearing the conversation, Steve and her fiance began to worry that the car that she had hit was his. Ah. So, fearing the worst, Stephen opened the door wide and told the woman, like, come in and tell us exactly what, like, come in, come sit down, tell us exactly what happened. As soon as he swung the door open, two armed men and the woman forced their way in, knocking Steve to the floor, assaulting him repeatedly with an empty wine bottle, and tied him up. You never trust anyone who open, like goes to your door. It, it was strange. It was a very late. They'd never had somebody come that late mm-hmm. at night. And again, like you didn't hear anything. So it, very weird. Like, yeah, you shouldn't have. Honestly, and honestly. Patty knew better than him. Yeah. Yeah. Patty had it going on. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, like on a side note, mm-hmm. and it just reminds me of this. Like if you want to go down like a scary rabbit hole on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, is like look at ring footage, like scary ring doorbell footage. Just. Look oh, that yeah. I and it's those sorts of things about people trying to break in or like like a girl like, a woman gets her and her kid inside, and you see a man kind of running behind yes. her. And she doesn't even, like, see them. And then, like, at the last minute, she slams the door. Like, just scary, scary, Yeah, scary. that is terrifying. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is way too dark in this room for that right now. <laughs> it's illuminated in red. It's me a cocaine shark behind me. Yeah. All right. Um, so... Uh, they knocked Steve to the ground. They assaulted him with a, like an empty wine bottle, like broke it over his head and like hit him. Uh, a neighbor heard this all happening and like ran over to intervene and to help. But he was also assaulted and basically tied up and just like left there. That sucks. Yeah. Patty looked at her attackers and knew she was obviously in serious trouble and that the attackers obviously knew who she was, that she was a Hearst and wanted her money. Yeah, this wasn't... This wasn't random. Yeah, like, no. like this did like you have two people who were armed, a woman who had this whole other story to get inside to the house. She knew they wanted her. Yeah. Right? So Patty says, I don't have any of my own money. Please, you have to believe me. So basically she was saying, like, I don't have money. I'm nineteen. My parents haven't given me any money. My parents are the ones with money. Like, I don't have anything that I can give you right now. Yeah. So Patty begged her attackers to basically let her go and let everybody go. And she said, like, I won't call the cops. If you just go right now, I promise I won't call the I don't know who you are. I wonder if that ever has worked on a I don't think so. I can't imagine. (laughs) I won't call the cops, I promise. Yeah. 
So when she says this, the attackers looked at each other, shrugged, and one of the men bent down and slapped Hearst across her face, knocking her to the ground. From the floor, Patty looked at her terrified fiancé and without saying a word, begged him to do something. So I had like those eyes like, you, like, yeah, you yeah, got to yeah. do something here. So it was at that moment that Stephen did decide to do something. When the attackers were not looking for a split second, Stephen scrambled up from the floor and took off running out the back door. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yep, bye. Yep. Because he knew. He also knew they wanted her. Yeah, they don't want me. Yeah, he's, he had nothing. He was like, he came from like a like a moderately wealthy background, but by no means was anywhere close to the wealth that her family had. Yeah. So from there, her, oh, sorry. Uh, I skipped a part, sorry. Uh, the attackers looked on in amusement and turned to Patty and said, some boyfriend you got there. Patty just stared at the now open door and the darkness of the night that filled its frame. From there... Patty was dragged from the building, kicking and screaming, and was put in the trunk of a car before being driven away. A number of shots were fired both during the attack and in the subsequent getaway, but no one was injured at the time. Who were they shooting at? Uh, so the other, there was still that guy who came to help. Yeah. Who like when he was tied up, he was still able to get out and like ran out the door and like tried to help in a capacity okay. and they like shot. I'm picturing Yosemite Sam like they're walking like yeehaw they weren't that bad as they're driving off into the night they get guns are out the side one of the car just like happy that they got her no that not that so like basically so they were shooting at people they were shooting they were shooting at the guy who all like the neighbor who came over to help okay yeah but thankfully he was never hit good good so uh the bullets were later found to be cyanide-tipped, leading to the police to recognize that the attack was the work of the SLA. What is that? So the SLA were the Symbionese Liberation Army. Where's Symbia? That is not a place. <laughs> <laughs> so Symbionese. it was a. It was supposed to be like a, a bit of a portmanteau of okay. symbiotic and okay. like a, a general like. Um. Oh, like was it edonym for like a, a denonym? Like would, like we're Canadian. Okay, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So like Portuguese, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was it was or symbiosis, symbiotic, that kind of thing. Okay. So basically, what they were there was a domestic terrorist group who was led by a criminal called Donald DeFries, or how he was always basically referred to, SinQ. Yeah, I don't. I don't know this story. Oh, you haven't heard it at no. all. Okay, interesting. I'm glad. I'm glad I got this for you. So, so obviously they've run into these cyanide tip bullets before. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to get to that though. All right. Okay. Yeah. So that was the tip off where they knew pretty quickly afterwards when the police were called and they saw not these. your regular type of bullet. No. It's not a Chilliwack garbage bullet. No, it's not a Chilliwack garbage bullet. It's a, it's a Symbionese. Uh, Symbionese. Symbionese. Just SLA. Just yeah. go with SLA. It's an SLA. Easier to say. Cyanide bullet. Yeah. So Sinkyu had escaped from prison in March 1973, and he formed the SLA in July of 1973. This army, quote unquote, uh, never consisted of more than 10 or so members at any one time, and the other soldiers were basically white middle-class females there were a couple other dudes as well but for the most part it was it was young white women is it like half cult 
kind of. I feel like if your foot soldiers bit, yeah. are young white women, it's, yeah, it's probably a cult. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the SLA manifesto claimed a vague intention to empower all people, and it focused its attack on all elements of capitalist society. So they wanted to get rid of anything capitalist. They want to get rid of prisons. They wanted to release prisoners. They wanted to end monogamy and generally progress the cause of African-Americans. So Sinkyu was, he was African-American as well. Um, so training in a safe house in Con- uh, Concord, California, the SLA's first revolutionary act was, and this is what I don't really understand, was the assassination of an African-American school superintendent named Marcus Foster in November of 1973. So this is all before <laughs> kidnapping Patty Hearst. Okay. So he takes his army of young white women mm-hmm. and assassinates a, a, a black superintendent. Yeah, so what happened basically... I feel like it's mixed messaging. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, so the reason why, though, was that they believed he, the superintendent, was supporting an ID system for a school's pupils, so the idea of like classifying people and into races as well. Okay, yeah. Right. So they had an issue with it. So cyanide tipped ammunition was used during the assassination and that became like the hallmark of the SLA members was like they it's all of their bullets were tipped uh, with cyanide. That's an interesting MO. Yeah. Now I wonder, was it the cyanide or the bullet that killed them? I assume the bullet. Yeah. Right, but the cyanide probably like, well, I, I guess it depends where they were hit. This guy was like he it went through his heart, okay. so like he was killed by the bullet itself. But theoretically, if you were just lying there, bleeding out a little bit, the cyanide probably make it go faster. Yeah, right. Um, so there was about I think from what I remember there was Sing Q and two others, two women who were involved in the attack, and Sing Q initiated it. But it was they figured out that one of the women was the one who like shot the the fatal blow to this guy. Yeah. Okay. So the murder brought national recognition to the SLA and the subsequent police investigation forced the group underground. They, they announced worldwide that they were the ones who were, who did this attack on the superintendent. Okay. They wanted people to know because they wanted people to like know what they were doing. It's like they were a guerrilla group in their minds trying to make this, the whole place better, but really they were just a domestic terrorist group. Yeah. So a search of their former safe house in Concord in uh, January 1974 produced evidence that the SLA were planning to progress their cause by kidnapping the daughter of a wealthy capitalist. Okay. So this was January of 1974. So Patty Hearst was identified as a possible target, but the police took no action to progress their investigation of the kidnap plot at the time. So the police knew about this. Knew like there was a strong possibility and didn't tell the Hearst family. It's at like all. the principals of the school were exactly, shot. Yeah. yeah, like all just responsibility just waved off. So uh, Patty's father, who had been in Washington at the time of the abduction, returned to California, but it was two days before the SLA confirmed that they were the ones who had actually kidnapped uh, Hearst, although they presented no demands at the time. It was not until the twelfth of February. Eight days after the kidnapping, that Sing Q made his first demand. This is this is interesting. So his demand was that Hearst's father should distribute food to poor people in the San Francisco area and across the country. So his first demand to release like, Patty yeah. was you need to give out so much money 
to like food banks and to people to be able to go buy groceries. I mean, I can get behind that. Yep. So initially claiming the SLA demand was impossible to meet, Hearst capitulated following the release of a tape recording by his daughter, and he set up a food distribution agency called People in Need, which distributed millions of dollars worth of food over the next month, initially causing near riots in the streets. So, yes, good in theory, in practicality to do this, people were going, and it wasn't the people in need who were really rioting to get the food. It was just selfish, lazy people who were like, oh, free food, I'm going to take this. Right? It was like, it just reminds me of, and this very unrelated, but somehow just reminds me of it. It's like, when I go with my kids to Walmart, like, sometimes I'll drive past a spot that's, like, really close to the front, and then I'm like, no, like, I'll I'll leave that, and I'll go around. I remember my son asked me, like, why didn't we park there? Like, I don't want to walk. I'm like, you can walk, so you're going to walk. Like, that is for someone who needs to be, like, who who needs it? We don't need it. I can carry you to to the store if I need to. So, in addition... Uh, the SLA later requested that a number of their political uh, communiques be published in Hearst's, news- in Hearst's newspapers. So they wanted their like what their thoughts were, basically their manifesto, kind of like um, Unabomber style, published in his newspapers. Yeah. So a total of four tape recordings were released during this period, containing statements from Patty Hearst, in which she claimed that her parents were not making sufficient efforts to secure her release. According to Patty... She was held in a locked closet for the first two months of her ordeal, blindfolded for most of the time, and subjected to ongoing physical and sexual abuse by Sing Q and others. I feel like right there that just undermines everything you want. Yeah. Like and this that I'm not pro sorry, yeah. like hostage situation. No. But like there is something to be said. You take a hostage and you're like, watch out, you know, we're gonna do something bad. If you don't do our demands, but yeah. it's like if we're gonna physically and sexually assault them while this is going on, then that just there's why do these demands when you're hurting them anyway? Well, yeah, it just shows that all of it is bullshit, and they're yeah. just a, a sociopath or a psychopath. Like they're just yeah. awful. Yeah, absolutely. And she was told that she might die at any time, and she was forced to record the tape messages to her family under the threat of further abuse. And basically, while this was happening, like, the entire time, she was fed SLA propaganda constantly about how the SLA was opposed and was oppressed by capitalists, just like her dad. So picture this if you're Patty Hearst. You're being abused. um, You are being barely fed. And when you are being fed, it's, like, crappy. You're locked in a closet. You're constantly listening to propaganda. And what they're telling you is that the reason why you haven't been released is because of capitalists like your father who aren't meeting our demands. Yeah. So now it's like, well, daddy doesn't care. Exactly. Yeah. My family doesn't care about me. But these people who, yes, they've done these terrible things, they are feeding me. They're making sure I'm, I'm clothed, that I've got a roof over my head. They're not treating me great, but it could be worse. Yeah, so, like, I mean, a Stockholm Syndrome... 101 or whatever. As a result, she believed that she fell victim to Stockholm Syndrome is my next sentence. Uh, okay. okay. And like, and there's part of it too is is like, I mean, there is in the cycle of abuse, like that is a control mechanism yeah. over people, right? So like the physical and sexual abuse 
can be used to make them close to you. Like cult leaders do that all the time. Oh, absolutely. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, and absolutely. Right. You get, and that's why these people who are in abusive relationships have a hard time leaving them because it becomes the cycle. Right. So, and to be clear, uh, for people who don't know, Stockholm syndrome is, is basically like a psychological state in which the victims of a, of a kidnapping develop a dependence on their captors. So where it came from is like earlier in the 70s, 60s? Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, basically what happened was in Stockholm, there was a bank that was being robbed by this one guy, and he took four people hostage during the bank robbery. And I didn't know this part. I read up a bit before this, was that he actually um, kept them for like four or five days and during that time he treated them really well and these victims became kind of terrified of the police because there's all these reports about basically how the police in Stockholm at the time didn't really care about hostages and would do things like they would shoot through a hostage to get the perpetrator yeah. So, like, the lives of the hostages didn't mean anything. Yeah, so it's all about getting that guy. Exactly. It was about that, not about saving people. It was about getting getting the bad guy, not saving the good guys. So, um, so yeah, uh, sorry. So, yeah, it was named after attack on a bank in Stockholm suburb in August 7, 1973. So, just before this happened. And the victims continued to defend their captors even after they had been released. Yeah. So, the even when the guy was caught and the the captor and the hostages were released, none of the hostages would actually go to trial yeah. to to be witnesses against him. They refused to because he was charming. He was nice to them. Kind of put them in a situation like, I'm really sorry this is happening to you. Yeah. I don't want this to be happening to you. It's nothing to do with you. I just need this money. The police are the ones who are causing this to happen. If they would just let me go, yeah. you'd be home to your families by now, et cetera, et cetera. And as a result, they, they kind of agreed with him. Yeah. So, so Hearst, re Hearst released a fifth tape recording on the 3rd of April, two months after her abduction, denouncing her family and claiming to be a fully-fledged member of the SLA, insisting that she wished to be known henceforth by her gorilla name, Tanya. Okay. Right? So she's now not Patty Hearst anymore. She's yeah. now Tanya. Just one one word, Tanya. Yep. After Tanya Harding? Yep. She was whistleful before Tanya Harding. <laughs> uh, the first concrete evidence of her defection to the SLA came on the 15th of April, where she was photographed during the commission of an armed robbery of the Hibernia Bank in Hollywood. Hearst was pictured holding an assault rifle, and the gang escaped with $10,000 US. So this showed... She was complicit, and she actually fired the weapon in the bank. No one was hurt. Okay. No one was injured. She did the old shit in the air. She did the Yosemite Sam. Yeah. Well, you if you <laughs> Google it, if you Google Patricia Hearst Bank, you'll see a photo that's really famous because she's like a very, very attractive woman. I think she's got like a like a French beret on, and she's wearing all black and then holding this assault rifle okay. and got like a really stoic, serious look on her face. So on the 24th of April, Hearst released another tape admitting her part in the robbery and discounting media claims of brainwashing as ridiculous. Up until then, the FBI had wanted Hearst as a material witness in their investigations, but now a warrant was issued for her arrest. So on a month later, on the 16th of May, 
Hearst was implicated in another robbery. Okay, did you find that photo? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at them. It's it's it, an intense photo. It reminds me of um, what's the couple that robbed people in the fifties? Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde, like that uh, famous photo of them smoking cigars, holding Tommy guns. Yeah, like this looks like an iconic kind of like crime photo. She also, to me, looks a little bit like homer's mother from the simpsons when she's like doing the stuff at the university i, I think it's the beret and like the haircut i don't remember google it. i think her name is mona mona simpson mona, i think mona simpson if you do that i think it'll come up but you gotta do it when she's young not when she's older when she's older she doesn't look like that at all anyways so while you do that, I'll explain this next part. So she was also implicated in another robbery. Basically what happened in this one, um, she she had two other uh, SLA members, Emily and Bill Harris. They were in this corner store, and the owner saw that they were shoplifting. They had really no money. Like This was not a rich group, which is hilarious because Hearst was one of the richest people in the world, or at least in the States at the time. Um, so they, they were shoplifting, and as they were going out, the owner was like, are you going to pay for that or are, you, or are we going to have problems? So Bill and Emily ran out of the store. And when they ran out, the shopkeeper and like another worker and some people outside tackled them and had them on the ground and were calling the police. And just when that happened, Patty was in the van outside in the getaway car. She opened the window and with like an assault rifle started firing into the crowd. Oh. Yeah, to clear it so they could get out. Yeah. Now she didn't hit anybody. So nobody was like injured by bullets, but obviously it's a really bad thing to do. <laughs> and so Bill and Emily got in the car and they and they sped away. So, um because of this, they were forced to flee in a series of stolen vehicles, leaving the van behind. And as a result, were separated from their fellow SLA members overnight. That is a very important part of the story. Okay. Weirdly enough. Yeah. Okay. So they were not with everybody else for that one night. And in that one night, on the 17th of May, 1974, the LAPD finally tracked the SLA gang to an apartment on East 54th Street in Compton, L.A., so they found this through a number of unpaid parking tickets found in the abandoned van. Okay. Right? So because that van was abandoned by those, by Emily, Tanya, I guess, and Bill, um, they they were able to locate basically everyone. Yeah, again, so they, they were dumb, and they left all the, the parking tickets, like, outside of and again, in Compton. And again, the gun they used yeah. had cyanide-tipped bullets. Classic SLA. So they knew right away is SLA, and they found it where Those they were. Those SLA guys always dipping bullets and sign. I know. So a gun battle ensued in front of the assembled national media, in which six members of the gang were uh, were killed, including Sing Q. So I, I wonder if we can see footage of this. So you said it was televised. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, you can probably go Google it. It'll probably come up. So it was initially thought that Hearst was also in the house. But she actually watched the attack from a motel room in Anaheim, Anaheim, California, along with the Harrises, whom she had rescued the previous day. The attack decimated the SLA, and Hearst released a tape on the 7th of June eulogizing her fallen comrades, 
and vowing that she would continue their fight. Along with the Harrises, she made arrangements to recruit new members from within the radical student movements based in Berkeley, California. You found the video? Yeah, I'm looking at the Associated Press. Okay. I actually haven't seen it yet. I'll watch it afterwards. Yeah. Over the next few months, they announced that they would they had allied themselves to the New World Liberation Front. With the authorities still looking for them in California, they traveled, This is, I think this is also interesting, to Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, the home of the office. Exactly, right? So where they took refuge in a rural farmhouse for a number of months. Having heard nothing from their daughter since June, the Hearst family withdrew their offer of a $50,000 reward for the safe return of Patty Hearst. On the 21st of April, 1975, four members of the SLA held up a bank in Carmichael, California, and an innocent bystander, Myrna Opsal, was killed during the robbery. Hearst was not one of the four involved in the raid. So that, that's important. Yeah. So finally, on the 18th of September, 1975, following her return to the West Coast, Hearst was arrested in San Francisco along with fellow SLA members Bill and Emily Harris and Wendy Yoshimura. When she was taken to the police station to be booked, she told the desk sergeant that her occupation was urban gorilla. <laughs> and to be clear, G-U-E-R, yeah. not G-O-R. I feel like she was dumb, so she like spelt it gorilla. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I am a city gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, you know, very endangered. So when that happened, Hearst was charged with armed robbery and remanded in custody to await trial. Hearst's parents engaged celebrated defense attorney F. Lee Bailey to argue her case, which commenced in L.A. on the 15th of January, 1976. At this point, they hired him because he had done a number of really high-profile defendants, including uh, Albert DeSalvo, who was the Boston Strangler. Okay. Uh, but Hearst claimed later that Bailey was a really bad choice, uh, mostly because he appeared poorly, pre poorly prepared during the trial. And at one point, they were pretty sure, or a couple times, he was they were pretty sure he was drunk during the trial. A hundred percent. Here's here's my view. Yeah, he burnt it all out on the Boston Strangler. Must have. And like, what well, he didn't get. So he he represented the Boston Strangler. Yep. But he didn't get him off. Uh, I don't know. I didn't look at the. Maybe I mean, the, the Boston Strangler went to jail. Yeah, but maybe for a lot less time. Oh yeah. Well, either way, I think I could see that being like you. You use up all of your mojo on yeah. this awful, terrible, long, drawn out case. Yeah. And now he's a shell of a man drinking and like. Yeah. You know? Yeah, probably. But he also he was pretty famous, okay. pretty well known. Um, I think he'd done some other really high-profile ones as well, too, that were successful. I mean, the Hearst right. family, money was not an option. Yeah. And so when they actually got to meet Patty for the first time in jail, all they did was, like, they hugged her, and she was, like, taken aback. She's like, why like, why are you hugging me? Like, you hate me. And she's like, what are you talking about? We love you. You're our daughter. You know, you're, you're our sister. All we do is care for you. We're going to get you out of here. You're not going to go to prison. And it was at that moment that she realized, like, oh, you didn't abandon me like they said you did. They're like, no, we were actively trying to get you the whole time. But again, Sing Q and the other group withheld a ton of information to Patty and okay. gave her, obviously, incorrect information. So the trial itself lasted more than two months. Despite Bailey hiring some of the best psychological experts to argue the case for Stockholm Syndrome, the jury appeared unconvinced as a number of his experts appeared to contradict one another. And also, 
a brand new syndrome. Like a like I don't even think at that point it was actually put in the DSM because yeah. it only had happened like a year and a half prior or a couple of years prior, I should say. Yeah. Uh, Bailey's half-hearted and intoxicated summation of the defense case as the trial uh, came to a close only added doubt by the poor defense effort. So even when he was in his closing arguments, he came across as drunk. Right? <laughs> I love it. So the jury returned a guilty verdict. And Hearst received the maximum sentence, 25 years for the robbery and an additional 10 years for the use of a firearm in the commission of the robbery. Not what the Hearst family thought would happen. No. Right? So here's this girl uh, kidnapped, and none of that information really played a part in the sentencing. Even though she was kidnapped, locked in the closet, you know, and she, on on trial, she detailed the physical and the sexual abuse that happened to her and was corroborated by other people as well. And that didn't really play a part in either the jury or the judge's verdict or sentencing. Yeah. Is see, yeah, I, I feel myself torn. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this is not an easy case because yes, obviously I don't think she would have gone on to do this in her life if she was not kidnapped. Right. However, she at the same time is like Yippie Kaye firing cyanide bullets into a crowd of people during a bank robbery. Right. And it's hard to know the power of Stockholm Syndrome, like how much of it, like obviously she was brainwashed. Yes. And probably terrified and thought if I didn't do this, it kind of goes back to like a bit of like the the Nazis, truthfully. But then you look at like cults and like you have brainwashed members in cults who are abused and taken advantage of and do terrible shit. But I don't see them as not culpable. You know what I mean? Right. So like. The Manson girls. Yeah. You know, those sorts of things. So, like, it's hard because they weren't, I mean, these girls weren't kidnapped like Patty Hearst was. So, like, there's that aspect of it. They willingly entered into this cult. She didn't. Yeah. So, it's it's very challenging for me to kind of put these two together. Like, I would not want to be a jury member on that case. No, it would be very, very. And, yeah. So, what happened afterwards, too was that a a judicial review uh, of the trial resulted in a reduction of Hearst's jail sentence to seven years. So on the 29th of September, Bill and Emily Harris pleaded guilty to the kidnapping of Patty Hearst. So they were two of the people. So it was Emily who came up to the door and was like, oh, I need help with my car. So they served in total eight years in prison. On the 1st of February, 1979, less than two years into her jail sentence, President Jimmy Carter commuted... Hearst's jail sentence, and she was released under strict parole conditions. So she did only serve less than two years and was out, which is much better than the 35 she originally was supposed (laughs) to be serving. Yeah. Right? Um, After her release from prison, Hearst married her former bodyguard, Bernard Shaw, and they have two children. She became an actress for a time with cameo roles in a number of John Waters films. So John Waters is the one who did like Pink Flamingos. Yeah, yeah, um, he does a lot of weird. Really weird ones. And dark and gross, some of them. Pink Flamingos especially. You see somebody literally eat poop. Yeah, I've heard. I've never seen it, but. Uh, I haven't seen it either. I've heard it is one of the more disturbing it movies. It is gross. Incest, yeah. a lot of stuff. Okay. It's nasty. Was she in that one? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I didn't Google. I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. I don't like, well, I'm going to Wikipedia. I'm not going to watch yeah, he's it. He's the kind of guy who would use her as an actress, like someone with someone. Yes, deliberately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So she did write a memoir in 1982, and it was called Every Single Thing, in which she describes her whole ordeal in detail. So it was made into a film called Patty Hearst, uh, and then the book was then re-released under the title Patty Hearst, Her Own Story. So she did use her family's political connections, and she continued to try to have her name cleared through the president. Okay, So while this is happening, she kept claiming that, again, like I wouldn't have done this if it wasn't for fear, you know, constant physical abuse, yeah. constant sexual abuse, constant, like, you, you know, being involved in their conspiracy theories and being kidnapped, right? If that hadn't happened, none of this would have happened. I was kidnapped. Without question, that was corroborated a number of times. She didn't go willingly. She didn't want to go. Yeah. But under th- two to three months of a hostage situation, yeah, you're probably bound to start thinking like your captors. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Right? So, finally, thanks to former President Jimmy Carter's direct involvement, President Bill Clinton granted her a full pardon on January 20th, 2001, on the final day of his presidency. All right. It's like the last thing he did was grant clemency to Patty Hearst, who had shut up a bank. Yeah. So, yeah, that is the crazy story of Patty Hearst. I really like it because the idea, again, of that Stockholm Syndrome and, like, how far would you go, basically, to stay alive? Because that's kind of what this is really about. Yeah. Like, what would you do to keep yourself alive? And that's basically what Patty Hearst did. She willingly said all this stuff in the videos. And also, too, she she genuinely believed her family had abandoned her. And the yeah. SLA was her new family. No, and that's not unreasonable to believe. Yeah. No, I, I understand why she would believe that. Yeah. But, yeah. again, the whole time the family was actively working with the FBI and, and everybody involved, private investigators, to find out where she was and figure out how to get her home. Yeah. And, again, they had a lot of money, so they spent a lot of money on this. Yeah. That's, that's some heavy stuff. I'm not gonna lie. I thought you told me it was the murder of Patty Hearst. I even introduced it as a murder. As a murder. That's why I yeah. And, it's uh, okay. So I was expecting her to die the entire time. <laughs> well, I'm glad that to subvert your expectations. Yeah, I also thought I knew the story, but I've never heard it in my life. So oh, okay, good, awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. That's rare that I have a story that you've not heard of at all. It's true. I'm a well-read man. You're a well-podcasted man. Yeah. <laughs> YouTubed. Um, we're going to wrap it up here soon. I just forgot one last thing. Okay. Um, there's a story that I want to talk about. So we're going to okay. hop back into the news for a sec because okay. it's just too good. And we got to go to Russia. Oh my God. Do we? Anytime I get a chance to have a good Russia story, I like it. Mm-hmm. So there's a drunk man in Moscow. No. <laughs> Crazy thought. You know what he tried to do? He tried to steal something. Okay. What's valuable to a Russian besides I- wheat? And the means of production. I was going to say, this is so stereotypical. Vodka. Vodka, yeah. What about Lenin? <laughs> Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, the founder of the Soviet Union. Oh, my God. No. He tried to steal the embalmed body <laughs> of Vladimir Lenin. Oh. He climbed over the barriers in the front of his mausoleum on the Red Square on Monday. <laughs> And trying to get into the heavily guarded building uh, until he got, like, tackled and arrested. They diagnosed him with a mental disorder due to alcoholism. Um, so the dude was just hammed up. And so... Was he dared in a bar bet to do this? 
Like, yeah. that's what I'm picturing. Man, you should go steal Lennon. Yeah, man, let's do this. <laughs> I think, he, think, he thinks like six other guys are following him, but it's just like Will Ferrell from old school. Let's go streak in, but let's go get let in. I just think he was powered by the delicious heavenly tastes. Greetings, comrade. This podcast is brought to you by the heritage. This beer is so good. You will forget all about the vodka and you will have the courage to stand up and seize the mean of production for the working man, Nostrovia. Did this story even happen? Or uh, did you just make it up for that drop? 100% true story. <laughs> we're not going to be sponsored by them much longer if you keep doing <laughs> no, this. No, they were not drinking Heritage. But you know what? I bet he wishes he was. Well, you know what? He probably wouldn't have his, a mental disorder if he only drank Heritage. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, as always, we're brought to you by Heritage Breweries. Uh, some delicious Norseman has been flowing through our cups. We are not about to steal the body of Pierre Elliott Trudeau or anything like that. <laughs> I don't, do we have any embalmed prime ministers that it was somewhere that I don't know about? Just Sir John A. Just, just hanging out. Um, so, just a couple fun things that are happening through them. Oh, they, yeah, they do got a lot of stuff going up. Yep. Yeah, so one really fun thing is they're adding a new NSLC beer. That you oh, can pick nice. up. So the rusty truck. Oh, very is one good. Of your favorites. It is absolutely one of my favorites. Very tasty. Um, will be available at the NSLC coming awesome. soon. The other thing that they're doing on the sixteenth of February, um, they are starting to like a new thing where they're doing a food and beer night. Um, oh, nice. So they're starting it off with Wild Roots. Oh, perfect. And so they're going to be doing it at Heritage, where Wild Roots comes in and does a bunch of food. They do a bunch of beer. And this is going to be an ongoing thing where they do partner with different restaurants. Okay. So that's exciting. I'll tell you this. Uh, a couple years back, they used to do this at the old Argyler. They did Blues Burgers and Brews or beers. I forget which, but it was a BBB. Sorry, what? Blues Burgers and Beers. Okay, I definitely thought you said boobs. It's, you said booze, didn't you? I said booze. Okay, it sounded like boobs. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Um, and... I went there and it was awesome. So they did like sliders with a side and a beer pairing. And then they had just blues music going, like live blues. And I really, really loved it because I like blue. I like all three of those things. Um, so anyway, I'm sure it'll be great. It'll be delicious food and delicious beer. So check them out February 16th in the year of our Lord, 2023. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming along on a magical adventure once again. We're happy to be back in 2023. I mean, we've been back in 2023, but... February. I feel like we're back back, though. I think we're back back. We're back back. It's been crazy. We apologize for that. But if you could just help us out and send us to a friend. Tell them to check out your favorite episode or an episode you don't like just to screw with them. Be like, yo, listen to this episode. It sucks. Or no, tell them it's good, I guess. And then they'll hate it. Good night! <laughs>